Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where the Orchard of Wisdom shows are at your fingertips. It ignites your soul, your heart, your spirit, your mind, and your body with illumination from people who have made the journey before you. They're here now to help you on your journey, on your path of self-discovery. We are funded by you, the audience, and the people we interview. If you wish to support us, please go to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com and press on our Fund Action button. Anything is appreciated. We would like you to sit back and enjoy the shows. Here we go. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Building Your Business right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Torrey, and my guest is Rob Dubin. He says that he's retired. Well, not really, because really he's out there helping businesses and people and entrepreneurs in finding their recipe for happiness. What is that recipe for happiness? Well, he transforms discontented workers into champions who reap engaging careers and fulfilling lives. A great regulation is challenging HR departments and affecting the bottom lines. Yet even the most forward-thinking companies cannot solve the problem of employee happiness on their own. The real solution is teaching employees the actual recipe for happiness. Yes, there's a recipe for happiness. And when your staff learns it, they will be far more engaged at work and more fulfilled at home and they will stay on the job. Well, he was an award-winning filmmaker who owned his own company as well as uh, paid to travel the world and uh, camera in hand doing work for numerous Fortune 500 companies. A near-death survival experience made international news and elected him and uh, Sorry, called from President of the United States. This prompted a re-examination of life. And two years later, at the age of 42, he and his wife sold the home and moved on board a 40-foot um, sailboat and went sailing for 17 years. Sounds fantastic. Uh, the experiences there alone I want to dive into with him. But he studied human happiness and fulfillment with both billionaires, barefoot villages in 100 countries. And he teaches people a recipe for happiness. For individuals, this translates to more fulfilling careers, a happier home, more for corporations, it stems from resignations and transforms workplace resulting increase in bottom lines. Folks, if we aren't happy in our own lives, there is nothing that we do in our life, in a relationship, in work, in anything that is going to make us happy. Happiness is an inside job. And when we are happy, we're going to bring that happy to everything that we do. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. 17 years sailing around the world. That is so exciting. And the things that you must have seen along the line and really what you do see along there, it doesn't matter whether it's the Fortune 500 company or, or whether it's, you know, Mar and Joe on the corner or, you know, somebody in the street selling from a trolley. It really is the people that are truly happy are the ones that really find the success. Absolutely. Uh, we'd been involved in the world of sailing for a long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. We'd been involved in the world of sailing for a long time before we left. And so we were involved with the America's Cup and the, the billionaires and the hundreds of millions uh, millionaires that in, are involved in that sport. And some of them were happy and some were unhappy. And then we took off sailing and we were sharing our lives with, you know, barefoot villagers that lived in dirt floor grass shacks. And some of them were happy and some were unhappy. And so clearly, 
it was not this American ideal we have of, you know, you put your nose to the grindstone and you work and somewhere along the way you can afford the new car and the picket fence and then happiness happens. Uh, so we, we realized that uh, that was not how it, uh, how it occurs. And I think uh, I know your your show is about uh, self discovery and the and the accumulation of of wisdom, and when there are just two people on a sailboat together, one of the, and you're crossing an ocean, one of you needs to be on watch all the time, mm -hmm. and the other one sleeps, and so these these watches you spend twelve hours a day on watch looking around at the ocean, and you know sometimes it's puffy white clouds and, and stars overhead at night and other times it's a raging maelstrom mm -hmm. but these hours and hours of watches add up to 10 20,000 hours over time and it's time to meditate and think about what you're learning and I think that for my experience that's where some wisdom crept in is in these hours and hours of examination and meditation of observing the world and the people that we were seeing in it. Time to reflect, right? Absolutely. You, know, you see these things and it kind of it enters your mind. But if you don't give time to reflect what you're seeing, how do you understand what you're seeing? Exactly. So for us, that's where the, uh, the knowledge or the wisdom or the uh, observing the patterns that made people mm -hmm. happy and fulfilled versus unhappy and unfulfilled those, that's where we started to make those distinctions was because of that time to reflect, for right. sure. I mean, I laughed when, you, you know, you talked about the rich and reach the top. I mean, I don't know how many people I've interviewed that reach the top, you know, the dream, the big house, the big car, the big this, and realized they were a slave to, to the job to maintain this so-called illusional happiness and realize how miserable they were or you know cosmic two by four came along made them sick or they lost everything or something happened for them to bottom out and in the rebuilding they decided to rebuild something that really meant something to them that really kind of ignited a purpose within them and they realized that the enrichment and abundance of life really didn't have much to do with money it was to do with what you do in life how happy you're making other people because of your happiness that comes from within absolutely and i think we are in a uh, renaissance mm. period right now and i know in the pandemic it's hard to to see beyond that but i believe that the the silver lining in the cloud of the pandemic is that suddenly millions and millions of people around the world have started asking them themselves those existential yes. questions. Am I happy? If not, why? How, what, what direction should my life be going? How can I make myself happier? And if we had just continued the way we were, it was a very small percentage of the population that was asking themselves though, that question. Yeah. And now millions and millions more are doing that. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah because I think the first step to finding happiness for a lot of people is looking for it, is re realizing you're not there and there must maybe are things you could be doing to get there and once you start looking for solutions you're likely to find them. The awareness that you're not happy, um, that and then it, you know for people especially who are kind of quote made it, well, I'm making this kind of money, I have this, I have that, 
why am I not happy? Because that awareness that all of that work, all of that time, all of that kind of slaving themselves to get to that position and then to realize you're not happy is kind of a rather a shock for a lot of people. Right. And it's like that willing to aware it's not working for you and it's time to change. Sometimes it comes with the old cosmic two by four, which is a blessing. And sometimes it has to come by your choice. And for some people, it's a hard choice, isn't it? Because, well, I've got all of this, you know, walking away from this or redirecting out. What will people think? Well, one of the, uh, you bring up so many different uh, ideas in that little paragraph you just said. But uh, one of the things that uh, we see is what will people think? I have a framework that I teach in, in how to be happy. And that's one of the core principles is you have to free yourself from that idea. And of course, I was a filmmaker and my parents, my father was a doctor and my parents were all, um, their friends were all professional people and they wanted me to be a lawyer. And I said, no, I'm going to film school, which wasn't a real career at that point. Oh, yes, I remember. <laughs> and then uh, when I was 42 and I had this successful business, I said, I'm retiring and we're going to get on a sailboat and go sailing. Needless to say, that was not an idea that anybody thought was a good idea. I mean, my friends, my parents, my family, what do you yeah. mean you're in the peak of your career and you're going to walk away from it? Mm -hmm. uh, so all of those things that have led to my happiness were only on the other side of people's opinions. Right. And if I had uh, been swayed by people's opinions, I wouldn't have done them. Mm. And I have a, the most of the uh, observations I've made about happiness came to me while we were sailing. But the first one actually came when I was in fourth grade. Uh, you can see me and you see I'm bald. Your viewers can't see that, but I'm totally bald, which is not a big deal because I'm in my 60s. But what you wouldn't know is that I started going bald when I was in kindergarten. Mm. And I got teased unmercifully oh, yeah. uh, on the playground, and we didn't have any of those anti-bullying campaigns right. uh, then like we do now. And bald wasn't sexy either. Bald was not period. sexy. There was nobody. There were nobody out there being a cool bald guy for uh, you know for a uh, mentor. Kojak, yeah, whatever his name. No, Travis. Uh, what was his name? The, uh, yeah, the lollipop. Who, the lollipop. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I was in fourth grade, these two sixth graders were picking on me. And I finally kind of lost it and I got this, heard this roaring in my ears and I got tunnel vision and I ran at these two sixth graders who were both much bigger than me. I had my little 10 year old fist swinging as hard as I could. And I don't remember what happened for the next couple minutes, but when the playground uh, monitor, the gym teacher picked me up off of these kids, both of them were on the ground and they both had bloody nose and I'd beat them both up and I was completely fine. And that was interesting because uh, I got a lot of, you know, I was everybody's hero for a day or two because nobody liked the school bullies anyway. But then somebody said something to me, and I don't remember if it was my parents or a teacher or maybe another student that was just my age, 10 years old. But somebody said to me, you don't even like those kids. Why do you care what they think of you? And so from that moment on in fourth grade, I realized that all my sense of self-worth comes from inside. It comes from me. What other people think of me is their business. It's none of my business. Yeah. And I don't look for uh, my approval from other people. 
And that lesson that I learned at 10 years old has been one of the most important lessons I've learned in my entire life because it's really made possible so many of the other things I've done in my life. That is one of the lessons that most people have to go through a lifetime to discover. You know, I was in my 50s before I finally realized that I'm enough in my own life. And you could take me or leave me. I'm not going to be offended. And I'm not bending myself into a pretzel anymore to fit your illusion of me. Right? Absolutely. There was actually a study done, believe it or not, and it said the average age when people figure that out and come to that realization that you just mm -hmm. elo you said so eloquently, that the average age is 46 years old before yes. people realize they are enough, this is how they are going to be, and people are going to accept them or not. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, when obviously a big part of all of our lives is our relationships with everyone around us, but certainly if you have a significant other, and my feeling is that when you bring an entirely whole you that you know is enough to the relationship, that's really a, the critical element to finding another entirely whole human being. And my wife is, we've been, she's my best friend. We've been married 40 years now. Wonderful. And that's the basis of our uh, relationship is that deep reservoir that we each have of who we are. Who we are. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because in every pretty show that I do, somewhere along the line, we're talking about relationships and relationships aren't just between loved ones, they're relationships with our families, with our colleagues, with, with ourselves, right? And so many people are looking for that approval from someone else, that connection, um, that camaraderie. And, you know, or looking for a loved one to complete them. No, you want somebody that complements you, not completes you, right? And when we step up into that higher vibration of self-love, not egotistical, not narcissism, but self-love, I love who I am for why I am and what I'm here to do, then that vibration, that frequency is, is met by somebody else on that same frequency. And now you can complement each other because you're not looking to complete each other. You can build together something beautiful but it, it's you it's her and then it's the us absolutely uh and that's exactly how we see it is complementing each other you know once we uh we get out of high school we should uh, not care if we're the most popular person mm. in school anymore and i tell people that when they start to live as their authentic self they probably won't be the most popular person and have all the friends in the world but they'll have all the friends they need and your friends will appreciate you so much more if you're living your authentic self every day and they know who you are and you come to the table every day with that authentic person that you are. And the only thing you need is just what you said is you need your own values. And if you have your own values figured out, that becomes the compass of who you are and you bring that authenticity to every relationship and every relationship is much better for that. A hundred percent. And the thing about it, too, is that it's not about the numbers. You know, we've been taught numbers game, numbers game, business, all about numbers, social media, numbers. No, it isn't. It's about quality. Right. Absolutely. I'd rather have the few genuine than than the shallow masses. Right. Exactly. Well, that's why I said once you get out of high school, you really shouldn't care if you're the most popular kid in school anymore. You know, right. you should want want friends that 
their life complements your lives and in the same way that you described the you and your significant other creating something that's greater than the the two halves yeah. all your relationships can do that if you're living an authentic life yeah and also i think it's it's important to understand that all of your relationships that you're going to have are going to be different they're like different chapters in your book i have a bestie i love her she's there every time something goes wrong in my life you know and she's one of the best friends you could ever have she's a cheerleader of what i do she's even um ordered uh, audio to show for me but she's doesn't still quite get what i do you know kind of quite the uh, this but she celebrates it anyway and that's okay it, it's not about each person getting you on this level or that level it's that do they celebrate the essence of you and it's what does that essence of you mean to them it's not about dictating what it should mean to them it's about allowing your essence to fulfill them in a way that there is a beautiful connection absolutely and you have to be that authentic self mm. to make any of those things happen yeah yeah i think a lot of the you know thing that goes wrong in business is especially as a you know the social media side which let's face it any business you do today you've got to have a social media side of it is this um, this need for popularity or competition i have two words i hate comparison and competition you know leave the comp competition for sports all right or a friendly game but it shouldn't be the competition in life because who are you really competing against and comparison is going to kill you now that doesn't mean you can't be looking at what somebody else is doing are you doing the same? Can you do it in a different way? Is your is your uh, demographics different? That's not what I'm talking about. But that comparison of I want to be like that person, I've got to be like that person to be important. That is a killer, isn't it? Very much so. You know, and I went through quite a transformation over the course of my life because I started my own film production company was in my 20s and the film business was extremely competitive. And we were in a fairly small market in Denver and the jobs came from the ad agencies mm -hmm. and every job was generally bid to two or three companies. And so you had this mentality of competition. I mm -hmm. had to do a better bid, a better job yeah. than the other two people that were bidding on it. And so I, that, that idea of competition and that kind of zero sum game mm -hmm. became part of my mentality. And so it was either I was going to win the job or you were going to win the job, yeah. but not both of us. Right. And and I don't know that I don't know how I could have done it differently in that business. Yeah. But I was very glad when I stopped doing that and I got on my sailboat and I stopped seeing the world as a zero sum game. Yeah. And now I very much see, you know, even in the field I'm in now as a motivational speaker, the other motivational speakers that even the ones that talk about the same thing I do, they're my biggest cheerleaders. Right, and, exactly. And, Collaboration, cohesiveness. Yes. We collaborate all the yes. time on ideas. And we're even though we're doing the same thing, going after the same market, it's not a zero sum game. And to use a sailing analogy, a rising tide really does lift all boats. Right. And I, I 100% agree with that. I get the same thing with podcasts, you know, like you interview other podcasters. Yes, we've all got our own flavor, right? Absolutely. But, but, you know, we're all the buffet of knowledge out there. And you're going to be attracted to the, you know, the podcast that really resonates with you, that speaks to you, that, that really kind of 
let you come away with something. And some people, they only want the 10 minute ones, you know, and I'm not, I'm an hour plus <laughs> because I'm all about the unraveling and going deeper. So I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm somebody's strong, strong cup of coffee. And it's, don't you, there's this one size fits all, I think is so detrimental to everyone because we are how many trillions of people in this world? We've all got different perspectives, different needs, different ones, different ways of listening and learning. And there is enough room for everybody to have their own audience. Absolutely. And I find that mindset, that concept of that mindset, really important in all mm. aspects of life. Uh, Tony Robbins was a big mentor of mine. I spent lots and lots of time with him back in the 90s and worked with him and did all of his different seminars. And one of the seminars was about uh, financial mastery. And certainly your mindset about money, mm -hmm. money is one of the key parts of having money. I mean, if you have a scarcity mindset, you will not be able to, you know, generate financial security for yourself. And for many, many years in business, I wanted to make creative films and as long as they made enough to pay the crew and keep the lights on yeah. and I could do the next creative job, I was very happy. But then at some point I decided I wanted a better financial structure, mm -hmm. more financial security for myself. And we basically went from having a, a very small nest egg, like $50,000. And three years later we retired completely and I have never been had to go back to work since then. And that mm. was 25 years ago. Wow. But it was started with the mindset and then it gets to the strategies. And I think everything is that way, really. Yeah, I, um, I know that, you know, everything is vibrational. Everything is if that resonance of that. And I consider myself a very enriched and abundant person. And, but somehow the mindset hasn't gone over to the dollars. <laughs> Uh, because people automatically assume I'm rich. So it's like, I'm still trying to find that financial uh, frequency that goes out there. Um, and it's got nothing against being rich. Is that I kind of already feel it in, in well, you know. That is actually the first step to being wealthy is realizing what you already have and that you, you know, recognizing that. And uh, it, like I say, it's the mindset and then it's uh, strategies to save yeah. more, earn more, and then invest more. Right. I actually have a, a PDF on my website. If people are interested, they can go to the website and download a PDF that explains that uh, of how we did what we did. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes in, in any form of business, there is the, the parts that you don't want to do in order to do the parts that you do want to do and that's just the nature of business and life right and we've all got that but i think the, the common denominator in that is where's the ethics right the whatever you're not wanting to do is that there is always a boundary of your ethics there's always the your own self-dignity um your integrity and anything that's going to cost that is going to cost you your happiness so you've got to know your boundary haven't you Without a doubt, uh, you know, for me, I guess the ethics are such a uh, they're such a hard and fast thing. I just never would cry. It never mm -hmm. got to the point where I was considering doing something that I would have right. thought unethical. But in terms of the other parts of your business, I mean, I think it gets to what you said earlier about relationships. Mm -hmm it's you're looking for somebody that doesn't complete you, but that complements you. Yes. And I would say one of my successes in business 
was I recognized my weaknesses. Mm. Most of us are really good at seeing the things we're good at, yeah. and it's not so easy to see the things that we're not good at. Mm -hmm. uh, and I re recognized right off what I wasn't good at. Actually, my wife was my partner in business, and she complimented me in those ways too. Mm -hmm. But I was pretty quick to hire people that had skills that I didn't. Right. Uh, I think it's important to know how to do every job or at least know what goes into the job yes. so you can supervise it, so you can hire the right people. But I think the quicker you unload your stuff from mm. stuff that drains your energy and especially in the business, when the film business was different, I might have 50 people on a set when we mm. were filming. We had a, maybe six or eight people full time in the office. And now I'm a solopreneur doing my speaking business. But I'm very quick to reach out to Fiverr or, yeah. or VAs, things like that, to supplement the things that I don't want to do. Because I think the energy level you bring to things is really important. And if you, I can pretty much, pretty honestly say, never in my life have I woken up and said, I don't want to go to the office or I don't mm. want to go to work today. Right. I, don't, I, I can't recall ever having thought that. Um, but it's because the things that I don't want to do, I offload very quickly right. so I can keep my energy for the creative side that, you know, turns my, turns me on. Exactly. And, you know, I, I wear all the hats in this right now and I've learned to, to wear them and some of them, uh, probably could be done better by other people. And one day I, I hope to be able to hand that off. And there's certainly a couple of hats I'd love to hand off. Um, but it, you know, the thing is in any form of business, it takes time to build up. It takes time to to do it. And like my son has a restaurant, and uh, you know, I told him when he before he opened, it's going to be like having twins. And then I saw him a few months later, and he lied. He said it's having triplets, <laughs> and now he says it's like having quads, especially through COVID, right? Because he's managed to stay afloat uh, through COVID and navigate. Plus, he snapped his Achilles as well during the time thing as well. And the thing is, is um, learning to pivot, learning to delegate. Those are two things that are going to keep you survival, right? Absolutely. And it's uh, certainly a big part of it is seeing opportunity where other people maybe don't see opportunity. Yeah. And that for me was a part of my success. Uh, I, I think there are two elements. Certainly you can shorten your learning curve by seeing what other successful people are doing yeah. and mirroring that or, you know, taking advantage of their expertise, but also look for opportunities that other people don't see. Uh, a number of years ago, while we were sailing around the world, our boat was in Thailand and I'm a pilot, I fly small planes. And I saw this new design for a, what I fly as a called a gyroplane. It looks like a little miniature helicopter. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the FAA had changed some regulations that allowed importation of uh, European aircraft. And there were a bunch of people in the US that were in the business of, of this selling these kind of things. And they didn't see this opportunity, this window of opportunity in the changing of this FAA regulation. And I wasn't even in the business, but I saw an opportunity there and I saw this product from Europe that was just coming on the market that I thought was a breakthrough technology. So we left our boat in Thailand and we 
and this window of opportunity was going to close in eight months. The FAA regulation was going to change in eight months from then, so they the window would close. So I left my boat in Thailand. We came back to the United States. I made a deal with this company in Poland to import their aircraft. And the competitors that were in the market sold maybe two or three aircraft a year. And I sold uh, 14 aircraft in five months. And I generated over a million dollars in revenue in five months with myself as the only employee. And then the window of opportunity closed and I closed the business and I went back to my sailboat and we continued sailing around the world. And it was an opportunity that everybody was aware of. They were more in the industry than I was. And yet right. I had seen an opportunity they didn't see. So that was for me a very, I'm a sort of a serial entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And that was just a little short business I ran for less than a year and it did a million dollars in sales. Right. And you know, the thing is, I'm, I'm a possibility seer. I see what is possible. It doesn't mean I'm the builder, you know, or even the blueprinter, but I can tell you, you know, from who will come, why they will come, you know, and what will attract them. And this is how I see it now, you know, it's talking to the people who can blueprint it and build it, you know, and the thing is, when you see something, um, I, I invested in a technology that I had zero understanding of. The thing is, I didn't need to understand how the technology worked. I just needed to understand the impact that it would have. Now, unfortunately, we got caught with 2008 and financing and greedy partners and everything else. So a totally different story that set me on this path 10 years ago. So obviously was meant to be. But it was very, very interesting in that world of how many people that were so protective of their kind of their ego or their position or their illusion that they were actually missing something that was so utterly in their face. And I found it, you know, very, very insightful. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to go off on a little tangent, if I could, because what you said about that business that didn't work sent you to what you're doing now. And one of the key things I teach in the courses I teach about how to be happy is reinventing your story. Mm -hmm. And you obviously have taken that painful experience and you've reinvented the story that it brought you to where you are now. Yeah. And that's such a key for so many people. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of an analogy. When we sold our home, our 2,800 square foot home and moved aboard a 300 square foot sailboat, <laughs> we had to get rid of a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a lot of room on a sailboat. You can only bring with you things that are gonna help you sail better or be safer on the water or help you, you know, in your new life on the boat. And so we had to get rid of all this stuff. And that's a perfect analogy for life because we're all carrying so much baggage that happened yesterday that's not going to help us get to where we're going to go tomorrow. Right. Your life is going to be sailing off into the future and this old story is not going to help you. It's going to sink you. Get, get rid, <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. going to sink the boat. So the thing you have to do is throw it off the boat, throw it mm -hmm overboard let it sink in the ocean and so one of the things i teach is how to rewrite your story mm. and i go through an exercise with people where they figure out a painful experience that they're still telling the negative story of mm. and how to rewrite it um you know if we we've all burned our hand on a on a stove sometime <laughs> in our life yes. and what if the message you took from that was well i should never have hot food again 
Yes. But yeah. how many people do that? You know, we I get know. our hearts broken in a relationship. Yeah. Never love again. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> we enter the next relationship halfway out the, you know, with our feet yeah. halfway out yeah. the door. Yes. And so we have to reinvent those painful stories and turn them either, if you can, turn it into something positive like you have with what you do now, or at minimum, turn it into a lesson that you learned that right. will help you in the future. And so you can go forward without dragging that pain with you right i i the word failure gets thrown around a great deal and i uh, the way i look at failure is uh, when you fall down and choose not to get back up right but if you, you keep trying keep trying and you keep landing on your ass and you but you keep getting back up that's just a lesson learned right yes. that's just knowledge gathered right and when um when this opportunity was given to me of somebody from an article i wrote which actually was about depression which i was in after losing everything because i literally was ended up in a van right and and it was like what am i going to do now and uh, i wrote this article and when i get that way i need to get out there and help people because that's what keeps me alive and somebody read this and looked at my current that particular site I had at the time and said oh I think you should come in on my network and and uh, do a, you know have your own podcast and I go what's a podcast all right and I had no idea and then it's like uh, and it's live <laughs> you know? and where do I get the people uh what an incredible training ground it was for me 13 months of everything that could go wrong that went wrong. And then I started my own. And even with that, I wasn't savvy of really what I was meant to do because in me starting my own network altogether. And, but I learned as I went. And I think one of the things I feel blessed about with me is that I'm always willing to try something new. I don't know what I'm capable of doing until I give it a try. Absolutely. You must be a very happy person because you're you're hitting all of the buzz things that I teach about how to be happy. Uh, you mentioned that when you when things were tough, you realized you needed to go out and help other people. Yeah, that's I have and to. Yeah, <laughs> that's so uh, contribution is such an important yeah. part of being happy. And I once went through something very much like you described. I was uh, I, part of this business and somebody else dropped the ball and I was their representative and all the stuff crashed down on me and it was kind of woe is me and I was being made out to be the bad guy I actually was sort of a whistleblower saying these guys are bad they ended up going to jail but that was months down the road right For a long time it all fell on my head right and I had a just a glimmer of insight and I turned to my wife and instead of saying woe is me I said we need to go do something for somebody else mm -hmm. and we, this was right after Katrina mm -hmm. and we went to Louisiana and we built homes for habitat for humanity Yay. for a little while Good for you. Good for and, you. but it was just literally a moment of insight that yes. made me say you know I can't think keep thinking about myself let me do something for somebody else yes. and as soon as I did that I got out of the funk I was in and then uh, months later the truth came out and I was sort of exonerated right. but, but it was but that, you know that that gift that you gave to other people ended up being a bigger gift to you and I'm oh. firm 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 believer that we're here to be contributors and of service to each other all right and we're all given our own instrument we're all given our own gift and that is the way that we participate that is the way where we contribute but in the giving is where there is the receiving 
Absolutely. I mean, that's why I do what I do now. I didn't need, I'm 68 years old. I didn't need to start a new business to, to go speaking to corporations and I didn't need it financially. I was loving my retirement. I, I ski every day in the winter and mountain bike every day in the summer, but I definitely felt a need to be giving back more than yes. I was. Yes. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, just I'm a getting bit... way more out of it than, right. than I'm putting in for sure. I'm 67. So I've been doing this almost 10 years now. And I hope to do it until I can't see, hear, or think anymore, All right? Um, and whoever's going to listen to an old broad, you know, forever long. The, the, the oldest person I have was 89, turning 90, who just started her own TV show. So, you know, there's always an audience, right? It's, um, and one of the things I like to do is bridge the gaps between uh, the elders and the young people and understanding how of coming together and what abundance of wisdom can be helped with the enthusiasm and the insight of the possibilities along with the beautiful wisdom and knowledge of those that have gone before. And you merge those two together and it's absolutely sensational, right? Absolutely, I completely agree with you. Have an elder in your business, folks because no, they didn't do things the way you're doing and don't get frustrated with them. They don't get the technology straight away. Understand this, you wouldn't have this technology if their generation hadn't been around before. So show some appreciation, but tap into the wisdom of, the, of their essence, of their ethics, of their ability to read people, of the, you know, just of that quiet, deep wisdom that's there because that is your foundation in which to build from. Yeah, you know, as a film director, which is what I did for my actual working career, you very much get into that mold because on the set, you have everybody who has a special expertise and you can learn from everybody there. So yes. you have a hair and makeup person, you have a grip and a gaffer and an assistant cameraman and a script supervisor and all these people that have individual little things that you can learn from them. and. I was known in, on my sets to have a very open set where anybody could come to me with a mm. suggestion and I guaranteed I would listen to it. I may or may not adopt it, but it could be the lowliest person on the crew that might have only been in the business for a week and might come and say, hey, we have, what about this idea or what if we did this this way? I always listened. And I think that's where uh, th that, that's a beautiful thing to be able to incorporate that. And that's one of the wonderful things about filmmaking mm. is that you take the creative best of a large group of people all with a common goal in mind. Uh, you know, sometimes in other jobs, you don't see that same result if you work for a corporation and yes. you're isolated from the big picture. Yes. You do your, your cog of the wheel, but it really helps if you can get an appreciation for everybody driving in the same direction towards a common goal. I call it the ivory tower syndrome, where all of those are up in the top and they're completely oblivious to the people that have got them there. And the, if you don't pay attention to your foundation, to the people that it's going to crumble and you're going yes. to crash and fall. But, you know, I also believe that each one of us is, as a metaphor, we're an instrument to be discovered. And once we discover our instrument, we learn how to play it. And then we seek out the orchestra in which to play it in. And then together we explore 
how we can come together in harmony and what we can create out as a symphony that invites others. But some people are gifted with two or three instruments in their life. Some people may be only one. But the whole thing is learn to play it well. You might be in a dozen orchestras in your life or you might just be in one. But that is your contribution. That is your gift. And for some people, yes, they have the ability to be multitaskers. Others, that is the gift. If you're a neurosurgeon, I don't want you to be an orthopedic person. I want you to specialize on being a neurosurgeon. So it's it's knowing what your gift is, willing to explore who you are, why you are, what when you really love what you do, the possibilities of what that is become so broad because you begin to see things in a way from that passion, from that love that you don't see if it's just from a a mindless job type of point of view. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of people have trouble identifying that what instrument do I play kind of mm -hmm. concept. I, I realized how lucky I was when I was 18 years old. I knew I wanted to go into photography and filmmaking. You know, all my friends were applying to liberal arts colleges and they probably changed their major three or four times. And I realized totally how lucky I was that I knew what I wanted to yeah. do. But that was unusual because most people don't know what they want to do. And one yes. of the things I talk with the college age students about how to find your your passion, and I give them a kind of a three step process to help figure that out. Because like you say, it does make such a difference in your life if you are doing it from a point of passion. Mm -hmm. And the, I, the, the steps I share with people are to, number one, make a list of all the things that you're good at that you enjoy doing that you know time slips away when you do it yeah. you would do it for no money you right. do it for, for yourself your friends maybe recognize you're good at it and they ask for your help in those things so make a, a list of those things that's not the first list and then look at that list and see which of those things you can do that will solve a problem for somebody mm. And then the third step is, will they pay, pay you to solve that problem? Right. So for instance, maybe you love to write poetry. Now on the surface of it, being a poet is probably not a profession that's gonna pay you very much money mm -hmm. or even any money. But if you look at it a different way, I think you would find that if you think, who can I solve a problem for as a poet? Well, musicians, songwriters, mm. big, big name stars, they don't write all their own music. They right. need songwriters to write their songs. And so if you can write songs for Taylor Swift or whoever <laughs> it is and use your poetry to write a song, you're solving a problem for Taylor Swift or whoever that musician is. Will they pay you for it? Yes, they will pay you very well for doing that. So there's an idea of how you can take something as impractical as writing poetry and create a career out of it that will light your fire because you'll be doing what you love all of the time. So yeah. figure out what you're good at, figure out who you can solve a problem for by doing that, and then will they pay you to do that? And when you get those three in a, in a row, that's a way to find a, a career that might light your fire. You know, I know that um, in any job or anything that you go after, if you're bidding for something, it doesn't matter. Before people buy your quality, you know, what you're qualified in or what you're good at, they are going to buy you. So do you believe in you? Uh, do you come across as not cocky, but confident? Do you come across as a person that's really true to who you are and the essence of you? Because if they buy that, then they're going to buy what you do. 
don't go in with something, I'm this, I do that, because there's a detachment. Yeah, that may be very well that you're a great coder, but what are you like as a person? Because they're buying the person that does the coding. Well, I think they're buying two things. They're buying the result. Mm -hmm. In other words, can you deliver the result you say you can? And if you are, then you do have the confidence to be that authentic person, that authentic self that we talked about earlier. So I think those are very important. And I also think that I can't remember. I'm quoting somebody who's very well known in the marketing world, a big speaker. But he says they don't people don't buy what you do. They mm. buy why you do it. Yes. And so if you're that poet and you bring to the you're mm. writing your mu music lyrics, this is what I love to do. People will buy why you do what you do. And for me, you know, as a speaker, uh, I charge quite a bit of money to corporations. And but I, you know, and I had this in the film business. In the film business, a TV commercial might cost fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, and it takes you one day to make it. Right. But it costs a lot to do that. And this, I'm talking way back in the days of right. film, not so much today, but if you're delivering value and solving a problem for somebody and you're authentic when you say this is what mm -hmm. I can do and this is why I do it and you're right they are buying you because you you have that credibility then uh, you know what you charge if you're solving a bigger problem than what you charge it shouldn't be an issue right you know the thing is uh, will you partake of what you're selling right because you know people can the thing is we because of social media today and and i think just a, a great deal to do with kind of the millennials are just not wanting to buy the bs anymore you know is um people just w want more authenticity they want more realism you know they want to feel that uh, this is something that's more genuine because why should i spend my time on it you know the generation before me has driven up the prices has done this has done that we're picking up the pieces uh, we've chosen to live our lives in a different way. So therefore, if you're selling to me, you've got to sell to what I need and what I want, not what you think I need and I want, because people can always pick out the fake. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I had uh, a potential client say something to me. I can't remember exactly how they worded it. But, you know, if you go on social media, there's a ton of pictures of the guys standing there in front of the, the Lamborghini that they yes. rented for the photo or and, and telling you how they're millionaires. And, you know, it's like Six if you're a millionaire in one hour. Yes. Exactly. And, and if you're so wealthy, why are you, you know, flogging whatever you're flogging on the right. Internet? But I had somebody say to me, well, I went to your website. I saw the pictures that you retired and you did sail around the world. And there are pictures from Fiji and Tonga yeah. and everywhere else. You're the real deal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess there's uh, so anyway, for me, my authenticity, I guess I've never had it questioned much because I just do what I do and I am who I am. I, I, I so relate to that because my template of my site is nine years old. Right. And I've hired people in the past to kind of modernize it. And I've not liked what they've done or they've hijacked the site. Right. And it's just like, no, I've got to be able to work it. Uh, I've got to be able to see this and do that. No, you can't do that. No, no, you've got to do that. You've got to do this. And I said, I don't want to look like everybody else. I am not everybody else. I'm Sarah. People come to my site for Sarah shows, the people I, I choose to interview. And that needs to reflect that. And color is very evident in my site because I am a very colorful person. And I've just resigned myself to the fact that, okay, my site is what it is. 
right? And if, you, if you're only looking for the, the new bells and whistles or the glitter of what's hot right now, you're certainly not going to want anything from my site because my site is about deep content, right? And if you're only really kind of buying what's in the window, uh, you, you really are not going to get what the content is all about. So, you know, I think sometimes just being true to who you are is enough. And if people, if it's not enough for them, then you're not the right person for them. Absolutely. Uh, I mentioned Tony Robbins and one of the, the, the main programs that Tony does is called Date with Destiny. Mm -hmm. And it's you figure out who you want to be when you're grown up. <laughs> and I happen to look at mine from 30 years ago. And you, you work out your current values and the values that the person you want to become would have to have. And so, and then you, you actually de develop a hierarchy of your values. What's Im more important to me? Authenticity, security, financial, adventure, whatever it is, you figure out all your, the things that you value about life and you put them in an order. And once you go through that process, it's like you have a very clear roadmap for who you are. You know, a while ago, you mentioned something about business ethics. Mm -hmm. If you have this document in front of you that you've created, this is the things that are important to me. These yeah. are the values I want to embody that I want to move towards. These are the values that I want to move away from mm -hmm. that maybe this is who I used to be, but I want to move away from that. And you have these documents in front of you, then it becomes very easy to steer yourself in the right direction mm -hmm. to wonder. You don't wonder whether you're doing something ethical or not. Yeah, that's I, against your values. You just look at the paper. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's not the way I want to be. And so you very quickly have a, a really solid compass to guide yes. you to the person you want to become. Right. I was going to say that it is your compass, right? It Absolutely. will always steer you right because it is intricately who you are. And you just get to a point where it is who you are. You can't go against your core. And I get propositioned all the time on this and that, et cetera. And it's like, thank you for thinking of me. No, because if my core says no, I'm not going to argue with my core. It doesn't need to justify a validate. It just says no. And if my mind is intrigued and the core goes, hmm, investigate, then I will investigate, right? But we need to listen to ourselves, our inner selves, our own compass. And, you know, don't just go off far to the north because somebody says there's a big deal over there, right? You know, what's it going to cost you to get to that deal? What's going to cost you in the direction that you're going in right now and is it worth it? Absolutely. And it eliminates that situational ethics. Well, this is really not what I want to do, but it's a great opportunity. Yeah. You know, it makes it easy to say no to those yes. things and say yes to the things that are aligned with who you are and who you want to become. And the more you do all of that, I mean, it's like when you go to the gym, you know, the more you work out, two things happen. So if you, you know, bench press, for instance, two things happen. The more you bench press, the more weight you can press. But the other thing that happens is the actual motion of grabbing the bar, pushing it up, the motion doing it actually gets easier too. Mm -hmm. And that's where you reach, like all of us learning to drive a car, for instance. First time you get in a car, especially if you had learned in a stick shift car, it's like, yes. what do you mean? I have to do the clutch, the stick, I have to look in the rearview mirror, all these things at the same time, it's impossible. 
and you know a year later you can sing and tune the radio yes. and do everything else at the same time and so you reach that level of unconscious competence where you don't have to think about doing the thing and so that's where that compass of your values comes yes. so important you just instinctively know if things are right for you or if they're wrong for you mm -hmm. and so the less time you spend making that decision and the more time you spend implementing it the farther down the road you're going to get towards who the person is you want to become right you know going back to your why and going back to your 10 year old of like other people's opinion is is their business not yours and if if we understand our why i mean how many times do you get people pressurizing you saying well you know i don't know why you're not taking up this opportunity you should do this it does this it does that da 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 and it's all very well right but if it's something that doesn't sit with your core or you know i don't need to do this to impress you or because everybody else is doing it you may consider me an idiot but if it doesn't sit right with me then no and if you can't respect that then there's a question there even of the ethics of what you want me to do right because yes sometimes we can push ourselves out of our comfort zone we can try something new i'm always about that but listen to your core who are you doing it for? Why are you doing it? Is it because somebody's pressurized you or made you feel that you're less important if you don't do it? Or is it something because it's part of your why I can really use this to really fulfilling what I really want to do in life? Yeah, very much so. I mean, as I said, I'm, I, I don't spend five seconds of thinking about what other people's opinions are mm. of that. I know immediately whether it's right for me or not. Yeah. But I think getting out of your comfort zone is really, really important. Mm -hmm. You know, when I finished sailing around the world, I started doing a lot of talks about, you know, people wanted to hear about our trip and I wanted to give them more than just a travelogue of pretty yeah. pictures. So I started coming up with the insights that we had learned along the way. And they're about human happiness and fulfillment. Some of the things we've talked about here of you know, not being swayed by others' opinions, knowing you, your self-worth comes from yourself, uh, contribution, living in a state of gratitude. Mm, big one. Yeah. yeah. But ultimately, the, the most important thing for us that we learned while we were sailing was literally the quality of our life was directly proportional to how much uncertainty we were willing to live with. Mm. And so the more we we're able to step outside of our comfort zone, the vet, the rewards just multiplied, you know, tenfold every time we got further and further from our comfort zone. And you, you really don't go sailing around the world in a 300 square foot boat if you're looking for security. No, that well, so <laughs> way back when I did the Tony Robbins program I mentioned where I came up with my hierarchy of values adventure was very high on my list and security was very low on my list mm -hmm. so when i get those kind of opportunities that you're talking about it's very easy for me to see does this fall yeah. where does this is it an adventure yes i'm up for it is it all about security no it doesn't interest me right. so i really quickly have a way to to judge those those situations because uh, i know who i want to i know the person i want to be yeah and I know the values that person would have to have to be that person. And I'm not there, but I strive to get closer to it every day. Yeah, the thing is, what does it cost you to be you? And who does it cost? Right? And that's, 
that the cost is there's always something that maybe you have to give up or there's something that um, you have to say no to and I've learned that um, in order for me to really be me and do what I do I have to let obviously the naysayers go or the other people saying you're doing it wrong or the people saying you've got to do it this way or that way but also that I'm not going to get rich doing this this is something that I'm doing for the enrichment or the abundance and that's where the the true abundance lies for me so I think it's knowing is that enough is that what you're willing to you know the cost of what you're doing and there's always a cost to what you're doing and I think you've got to be able to live with it happily um, or don't do it at all right I guess what I try and do is I try and ask myself more empowering questions so if I were in your the the spot you just outlined you said you're not going to get rich doing it if you wanted to get rich I would ask myself how can I do what I do and make yes. more money doing it and that's where you know, I need somebody else's hat well maybe so, but so here let me get let me get let me suggest an avenue for you you know our brain is designed to answer questions mm -hmm. and it'll answer whatever question we ask of it so if I ask my brain why does nobody love me? Why do I fail at everything I try? Why do I always procrastinate? Why can't I succeed in this? Why didn't I get a raise? My brain is going to come up with an answer for every one of those things. Yes. It may not be a factual answer, but my brain is going to come up with a reason. Well, right. you didn't get a raise because you're no good, because Bill's better than you, whatever. It's going to come up with some just some reason. And if I ask my brain a different question, like how can I do my podcast and make money, my brain will start to come up with answers for that question. So I always work at asking empowering questions. There's a series of problem solving questions. So if I'm facing a problem, I ask myself, what's good about this problem or what could be good about it? What am I no longer willing to do? What am I willing to do? How can I solve this problem and enjoy the process? And so I ask those in, those empowering questions and my brain will come up with empowering answers. So if I say just the opposite of that earlier list, why do why does everybody love me? Why do I always succeed at what I try? Why do I how do I always get promoted? How do I always get a raise in my jobs? My brain is going to come up with those answers too. Right. And one that's set what of you're answers, channeling. Yeah. One set of answers is, as the, the word you used was frequency, but mm -hmm. one set of answers is going to give you access to your resources. So if mm -hmm. I say, why, does every, why am I successful? Just by asking that, answering that question, my brain's going to say, well, you're successful because you learned how to do this and because you succeeded at that and you learned this and your mom was good to you and your wife loves you. All of those empowering answers are going to allow me to be more creative, more flexible, more resilient, more charismatic, more whatever. And those are all states that will lead to my success. Mm -hmm. I think we've also got to be investigative because, you know, um, we'll find certain channels, people are doing X, Y, and Z, and that's the way it's got to be done. Well, that doesn't work for you. So therefore explore other ways that you can do it, right? And that maybe hasn't been done um uh, or other people might be starting to do that hasn't been mainstream yet so it's don't just accept the door in your face 
right? There, yep. There's other doors or there's other windows or even peepholes out there that we've got to be, all right, it's not that avenue. I've got to try another one. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what you said earlier about failure. It's all, mm. only failure if you don't get back up again. Exactly. So if this avenue has got a detour on it and you find another avenue. Yeah. The, you know, people look at the word happiness and think that we have happy moments in our lives, but it's, it's, um, it's unreasonable to think that we could be happy all the time. And again, happiness has different levels to it. Right. You can be just as happy in a quiet meditation of peace as you can be in achieving something big in the moment. Right. So it's uh, look at happiness and what does that happiness mean to you and understand that it's many notes. You know, we, we we're inclined to look at things as just one note. Uh, I will be um, popular in this and that when I reach that one note. Now, there's so many different notes to the tune. But the whole tune could be happiness, just different notes leading up to a crescendo of it. Well, certainly you want to be happy when you accomplish a certain goal, yeah. like you alluded to there, I'll be happy when. And yeah. yes, you do want to be happy when whatever that is thing happens. But in fact, and this is science, science has proved this, There, there's an, a whole, a, body of knowledge called positive psychology mm -hmm. and they've studied happiness and uh my journey to that is that when i started speaking on happiness mm -hmm. uh, i started speaking doing as i said these slide presentations of my my sailing version and i wanted to give people more than just pretty pictures yeah. and so i started including these ideas of fulfillment and happiness and all of that and often people would come up to me afterwards and say, do you do coaching or mm -hmm. can you help me with this? And I didn't want to be a coach, but I always offered to help. Mm -hmm. And after I was doing that a while, I sort of had a little bit of imposter syndrome. I said, well, you know, I don't have any training in this. I'm not a psychologist. I haven't gone through any kind of program. These are just things that I observed and I spent a lot of time thinking about. Life experience. Maybe yeah. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> but so then I went and actually did the research and I found out that there's this entire body of knowledge called positive psychology. Mm -hmm. And literally all the 10 or 12 things that I teach are paralleled exactly in what they teach and what they've studied in this field of positive psychology. And one of the things they found is that about 50% of your level of happiness is baked into your DNA. Mm. And they've done studies with twins, identical twins, and found out certain things. And I'm one of the people I know who happen to have gotten the lucky uh, yeah. gene there that I'm a happy person and I'm happy most of the time. And I know why. And I've been able to quantify why I am the way I am and share it with others. But that's 50% of your happiness. Yeah. 10% is usually the circumstances of your life. You're your socioeconomic level, your relationships, your job, your uh, finances. So that's 10%. And then the other 40% is all this other stuff. And I teach skills and strategies to do, to incorporate those into your life. But you definitely can make yourself very, very much happier. And it actually starts with the decision to be happy. Yes. And when you are happy, you 
actually access, and again, this is all scientifically proven, when you're a happy person, you access your creativity and all those other yes. resilience and things I talked about, and therefore, you are more successful. So if you said, I'm going to be happy when I reach X dollars in mm -hmm. my bank account, or I get the new car, or the wife, or the partner, or the, the house, or whatever, you'll have better luck getting those things because you're a happy person, you're going to access yeah. more resourceful states that will help you achieve those things. Yeah. Yep. So yep. Deciding yep. to be happy actually comes first. Yes. And then you do the things that, that make you happy. There's the Emoto experience, uh, experiment of the water experiment. The, I'm sure you've heard about it, the three glasses of water. Uh, where in one room the water was completely ignored, the other one was fed negativity, and the other one was fed positivity. The ignored one just stayed as it was. The one that was fed negativity went dark, um, almost black, and the other one turned into crystal. And that crystallization could be actually measured. I had uh, Yashiyuko, his assistant, because Yamato died, and it, he's continued the study, on. And we are water. 70% of our body is water. So what we seed and what we nurture and what we water is what will grow. So if we're going to grow and plant the seeds of misery or, or doubt, or this can never happen or that can never happen, that's going to be what will grow. So we need to really make sure that we do put positive vibes in there because that keeps the water in our body, in our brain, plump and juicy and healthy because most disease comes about from dis-ease, right? Being unhappy that breaks the body down and then becomes diseased because of it. So happiness is something we really need to seed, water and nurture in order to stay productive and creative and well. Absolutely. Uh, Jim Rohn, a very famous speaker said, stand guard at the door of your mind. Mm -hmm. And I have a saying, think about what you think about. And mm -hmm. If you think about positive things, then you have access to all those positive emotions that then make you more uh, creative and comp uh, competent. And so you do achieve more when you are that way, without a doubt. Mm. I, so I mean, you know, I say about feel your thoughts, because when you feel them, you, you really, and that, you know, the thing is that our emotions are all here for indication. I'm mad, sad, glad. It's an indication of where you're at right now, a reaction to something. You know, acknowledge it, spend it, but don't become emotional about your emotions. But when you actually have a feeling of, of love, of joy and everything else, and you feel those thoughts, those thoughts now are going to serve you in a more productive way, right? Because we can just think our thoughts, but that is coming very much by just data. But when we feel them, there is that loving emotion around them. And then the thoughts that we have and the thoughts that we need to know at that moment. Very much so. I don't know if you're familiar with NLP, yes, uh, Neuro Linguistic Programming, but it identifies that of the spectrum of people, we all have a prime modality where we learn and how we represent things to ourselves. You're obviously a very kinesthetic person mm -hmm. feeling. So you said, feel your emotions. If somebody were very visual, they would use visualization yes. to do it. Yes. Or the other I one. I see it or I hear it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so when we, part of what I do in, uh, in this uh, framework that I teach of happiness, the last part of it is, uh, dream harvesting, figuring out your dreams and then turning them into goals and an action plan. And one of the steps is to visualize after you've 
accomplish that dream. So close your eyes, imagine you've come accomplished that dream, and then I take people through all three steps because we all have all of them. So I say, what is your, what does it look like when you've accomplished that dream? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? And so you make all of that uh, very sensory real to yourself. And when you do that, one of them, like I say, when I do it with people, I have them do all three, visual, auditory, and the feeling, the kinesthetic. Everybody's going to have one of them that is better for them. Right. Yeah. But we all have all of them. Yes. And when you do all of them, you've accessed a part of your brain. They can see it chemically on brain scans. You access a part of your brain that then, again, helps you achieve states that make it more likely that you'll make your dream come true. Right. I'm a True Colors coach, the Myers and Biggs pro program, True Colors of the four key personality traits. And if we take into consideration our personality trait, it's how we receive and how we perceive information. Right. And so when we actually understand what we are, then we understand that's what I'm getting. That's the essence of, of what I'm getting in the conversation, because that's how I see it. And this is how I'm going to articulate it back. But if we learn to actually look at the other three personality traits and identify them, they will understand that that person is coming at it from that perspective, that point of view, right? I'm going to articulate it this way, they're going to articulate it that way, we're probably saying the same thing. How do we adjust our perceptions so we can understand each other, right? So it's very important that we actually do know how our mind or how we work, because the better we understand ourselves, the more we can articulate who we are and also invite other dialogues from other perceptions and in a way that is more open and cohesive. Absolutely. I had an experience long ago when I was editing a film and I was working with the art director and the copywriter from the ad agency and we were editing a TV commercial and we were in a studio that, you know, cost five, six hundred dollars an hour to edit. Mm -hmm. And we were at loggerheads because we all had different visions for how this next part of the commercial was going to be. And they were my client, but I'm the director, so I have to be, you know, give them the best of my input that I can. And we were kind of at loggerheads and it was getting a little tense in the room. Yeah. And the, the guy, the editor running the machines didn't know who to listen to. And we were all kind of at this difficult point. And I just took a, and I'm visual as a cinematographer, yeah. you can imagine I would be pretty visual. And I kept describing what we would see on the screen for this next part of the edit. And the other guys just weren't seeing my vision. Mm -hmm. And finally, I took a step back and I said, the copywriter is probably auditory. He's into yeah. the sound of the words. He's a, a writer and the words make a difference to him. So I described exactly the same edit but instead of using what we see, yes. I said, so we hear the sound of the narrator do this, and then the car door slam, we hear the sound of the car door slam, and I described all of the auditory sounds. Exactly. It was exactly what I had been saying for 10 minutes, yes. and he turned to me and he said, yeah, that sounds perfect. Exactly. And arguing against it Right, you're saying the same thing, but just from a different perspective, right? That's exactly. why we have and to then, adjust the language. Then yeah. the uh, art director still didn't get it, the copywriter turned to the art director and he said it a different way. Right. And the art director went, yeah, that sounds fine. <laughs> and we all went ahead with the program. But we, we were all saying the same thing, but we were exactly. using different language. Yeah, yeah. And that's and a very valuable point if you can uh, learn how you learn. Yes. And if you have kids, your kids learn a different way. 
And so you might have to figure out for your children, you know, instead of saying, do you see what I mean? You might say, does that sound like it makes sense to you? Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know? How do you yeah. feel about that? Yeah. And every one of us have a different way that will respond. I, I, you know, it becomes quite a liberation because when I actually did first do the True Colors before um, I started doing it, it was, uh, oh, oh, now I understand why my family doesn't hear me. Right, because I'm I'm speaking from that kinesthetic. I'm very much an air sign as well, and it's uh, they're coming at it from a very much a, the grounded, um, the building blocks, the safety and the security. And I'm out there flapping in the wind, and they just think I'm being unsafe. Right, so it's uh, I had to kind of address. Um, I put them through the program, and it was like, oh, oh, you know, it kind of became quite a revelation for them as well. Um, but it then became a better bridge gap of, of understanding each other that we might not quite get comprehend from where we're coming from, but we understand that we're probably saying the same thing, but from a different point of view and just to be more attentive of how we communicate. Absolutely. And of course, all of our relationships come down to our communications. Yes. And, you know, as human beings, our relationships, I mean, the quality of our lives, certainly a big part of our happiness, but a whole lot of the quality of our lives comes down to our relationships. And communication is so important in that. I mean, for my wife and I being married 40 mm. years and spending a bunch of those years on a sailboat, which is... Yes, you know, could drive each other mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we never did. A lot of... One of the... It surprised me when I started doing talks about our sailing that almost every time the second or third question would be, how did the two of you get along in such right. a small space? Yes. Um, and I have a PDF actually on my website that people can download that is the relationship things that work for us. Mm -hmm. I'm not a relationship coach, but we, we've identified what worked for us, how we do that. And communication is such an important part of that. First and foremost, before you communicate with everyone else, you've got to communicate with yourself. Right. The dialogue with self is going to be very much the dialogue you're going to have with others. So if you want positivity, if you want happiness, speak happy to self. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the same thing. We're saying it in many different ways. Think about what you think about. Yeah. Think about empowering questions. All those things are saying the same thing. Put positivity in and the, the states, the emotional states that it generates allow you to put positivity and success out yes yes again that what you feed is what will grow so you know it really comes down to that choice yeah everything is a choice in life even abstaining from a choice is a choice and you know you can look at it do i want to feed the past that's a heavy weight you know or past mistakes and beat myself up about it you know or do i want to feed the possibilities of tomorrow and seed those possibilities, nurture and water them and let them grow, believe in them. But it has to come from your why. Why do you want them to grow? Who do they serve? And uh, How is this going to make you feel? Is it going to make you feel happy? Is it going to make you feel fulfilled? Is it a meaningful purpose? Because ultimately, that's what we're all looking for, isn't it? It doesn't matter what we do. We're all looking for that. Yeah, well, a very much a part of happiness is that happiness only exists in the present moment. You cannot store it up for use tomorrow. Right. You can't apply it to yesterday. So if you want to be happy, you have to be ha be present as all the time. Yes. If you want to be happy, you have to be present. And yeah. so that's uh, 
so so those moments of happiness only exist in the present and there's two things that you cannot do if you're present you can't be worrying about the past mm -hmm. and beating yourself up over the past and you can't be worrying about the future no the gift of the present is in the now absolutely, absolutely. and that you know that's why i say there's different levels of it you know of happiness is that you can have kind of a heightened happiness at this moment but that doesn't mean the next moment you're going to be unhappy it's just kind of a different level of, of that and, and of happiness that because we can't be living on a high all the time, right? Because then it kind of you look at that happiness as a high and people are looking for the euphoria. And we all have those moments of, oh, this feels wonderful. I'm so happy right now, but we can't live up there because it just is not practical to live up there all the time is bring it down to a point where you store it in your heart and soul that makes you, that really makes me feel good. How do I keep that happiness level in me that I can reach those highs again, or I can live on a sustainability of happiness uh, that I can bring to every part of my life and every moment? Very much so. That's exactly what I teach. I mean, I, I describe the happiness that I teach. It's not the rainbows and unicorns. Yeah which might be the, you, that moment of euphoria, yeah. that yeah. might be the rainbows and unicorns. But the other part of happiness, and for me, is it's just this deep, deep contentment with life. Mm -hmm. I spend almost all of my, emo 20, my waking hours, my predominant emotional state is gratitude. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I'm here with you right now. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for what's going on in my life right this moment. I'm, right. I'm not focused on what I'm going to do 15 minutes from now. Right. I'm totally here present with you. And gratitude is the predominant emotional state of my life. And I spend almost no time worrying. I spend almost no time overthinking or overprocessing things or regretting things in the past. And so it's so unproductive. It is. So yeah. I'm not always at that euphoria right. level, but 24 seven, I'm only down a little ways from yeah. it. I'm with this really deep, deep contentment with life. And that's what I teach people how to be. So kind of a warm glow of satisfaction, isn't it? Exactly. You know, you know, when, when you've had a good day where you've, you've spent your joy in helping someone else. And you know, the thing is, we don't, I've, I've said, being of service to someone else or doing something for someone else is the greatest gift you can give yourself. But it doesn't mean you always know the results of what you've done for someone else. And it doesn't mean that that person now owes you. No, the, the actual gift to you is in the giving to others, making a difference in their lives, making them smile, helping them out with something, you know, a, a total change of perspective. It doesn't matter what it is you've done, but if it's had a positive impact on any level, there is that gift back to you. Definitely. You know, I th we know when you throw a stone in the water mm. and the, the ripples go yeah. out. And I like to think that we're all the stone mm. and we're all the ripple. Yes. And for me, my mentor, Tony Robbins, was the stone and, and the ripples that he created, you know, the ripples that he created affected my life. When we uh, sailed into Indonesia, as we sailed around the world, you know, we were with a lot of uh, third world countries and a lot of mm. poor people. And we always carried kind of school supplies for the kids and sewing material and needles and threads for the women and the men tools or batteries or fish hooks and things like that. And we always distributed that. But it was always kind of a Band-Aid on what right. we were, you know, the, the next year they needed all those same things again. 
and we sailed into Indonesia and I was sort of pondering this that idea of contribution and being the ripple and the stone and we met this young woman on the beach in Indonesia and she offered to be our guide because she wanted to practice her English mm -hmm. and we spent a few days with her and she was so bright and so personable if she'd been in the US she'd been on a full ride scholarship to mm -hmm. Harvard Luckily, uh, her parents actually only made $200 a month, wow. but luckily she had gotten into a teaching college and she was studying to be a teacher and studying to teach English. And we were so inspired by her and we knew there must be so many other young women like her. And in the third world, helping women is mm. really the most bang for yes. your buck you can do. Yes. And in a matter of one week, we were in this town of Kupang, Indonesia, a pretty medium sized city, had a college and everything. In a matter of one week, we put together a scholarship program and we met with the uh, pr president of the university and he agreed to waive all the admissions and red tape requirements for anybody we would sponsor. And we met with the principals of a headmasters of some of the high schools and we set up a criteria based on academic achievement and financial need. And we set up this scholarship and we knew sailors like us who were just yeah. itinerant sailors mm -hmm. going through. They're going to be in this town for a week and then they're going to go on to some other place. But we knew they would all feel like we did that, uh, wanting to contribute. And so within a matter of a week, we set up a scholarship program and it's been going for 13 years now. Wow. And we've put uh, 29 kids through college. Excellent. You see, there's the there's that difference. You see, I mean, you saw something that was a need. You had no idea how it was going to be, how big it was going to be. It was just like, this is what's needed right now. Let's do it. It will be what it's be, you know, and look at how many people it served. Um, I've interviewed other people who have done that in the powering of the women in third world countries. Number one, they don't have to marry for economics right? They can stand on their own. They can get the education. They can start their own businesses. They can provide for their own families. It gives them dignity. It gives them liberation. It gives them a chance at life. And that actually then has the ripple effect, not only on their children, but on their communities and on life in general. So the more we do invest in the women, um, the, it actually takes a great deal of the burden off the men. And it brings about that equality. So good for you for doing that. And there are a few people out there doing that. And it's always kudos because people look at that part of the world and think, well, you know, I'm North America. It doesn't affect me. Whatever hurts there is going to hurt you in some form or other, some form of ripple. So whoever we can empower along the way and give those opportunities to is only going to benefit all of us somewhere down the road. Absolutely. One of my favorite organizations is a charity called Kiva, K-I-V-A dot org. And you go to their website and you read the stories of these people looking for micro loans all over the world. Mm -hmm. And something as simple as buying a woman a sewing machine. I don't yeah. know how sewing machines cost, what, $300 maybe? That she would never in her life have no. $300 all at one time. And you can donate as little as $25 and it'll say, here's this person, it describes her life, where she is, and she's trying to buy a sewing machine. And you get a bunch of people that each kick in $25. She buys the sewing machine. It changes her entire life, her family, her children's yes. and her grandchildren's yes. life. Because now she has a business where she can generate income, whereas before she would never at one point in time have the, the wherewithal to buy a sewing machine. And those loans 
are paid back at a high, the, the, the default number on those loans is like zero. You go to a, your local bank, they have a lot of defaulted loans. The, in the third world, these people that are getting these Kiva loans, the defaults are almost zero because the entire community is vested yes. in seeing her succeed. Yes. And so she succeeds and then the next round, the money goes to somebody mm -hmm. else. So if people are interested in a really wonderful way to learn about the world, learn about a third world country and help somebody and make a huge difference bigger than your it's the cost of a couple of Starbucks will change 20, 30 people's lives. Go to kiva.org, K-I-V-A.org. Yeah, and you know, the other thing I say when it comes to gift buying, um, it, what I very often gift my kids is a donation to something on behalf of them. That's their gift. Um, a wheelchair or we had severe flooding here in BC and literally homes and livelihoods and everything stopped. So I gifted towards that in the name of my children. And, you know, it's in, good to encourage your kids. X amount of their pocket money goes away into that when they've got enough, they're going to put it into something that they know they're supporting someone else that doesn't have the same things they do. You can never start that too early. Absolutely. That's a great idea. Give a gift of a gift. <laughs> it's a gift that keeps on giving, right? Well, you're a gift that keeps on giving, and I know that you're in the process of writing a book. I am. Uh, I've been doing this workshop on happiness for a while, and I'm, I'm about halfway done with the book. Uh, I don't know. The working title at this point is uh, Make Yourself Happier in 30 Days or 30 Days to, to a Happier You, something like that. But it's a, a framework for how to make yourself happy step by step, do these few things, and then a while later you do more things. And people can radically, radically change the quality of their lives by, uh, by the, this process. Change the thought? Right. You know, say positive thinking equals positive living. If you've changed the thoughts, change the perception, change your view into possibilities, you know, the happiness starts growing within you. Right. Absolutely. So I hope the book will be ready in another oh, two or three months. I just uh, halfway two thirds way through the first draft. And there's a workbook that I use in my speeches and that's just been finished. So the book is uh, is in the works now and but there's uh, as I said there's some PDFs people can get from my website uh, they can download uh, things on relationships or finances things like that and that's all on the FAQ the frequently asked questions page of my website and your website is robdubin.com can you spell it for the people who are just listening yes it's robdubin.com and go to the frequently asked questions page there's a little form to fill out and then they'll get a uh, list of how to download the PDFs. And of course you're on LinkedIn and on Facebook and you've also got uh, VantanasVoyage.com as well. Is that all about your journey? Yeah, that's a bit about our sailing trip around the world. If people want a, a little travelogue experience, that's there. And that's VantanasVoyage.com, no apostrophe. The name of our boat was Ventana which means window in Spanish, because she was our window to see the world. Right. And to see the world you did. Um, and, you know, it's, I traveled a great deal before I came to Canada. So, you know, um, did several countries and I wanted to do it young BC before children, because I know once I have children, it's harder to do. And what I learned about myself 
you know, through the eyes of other people, through the different cultures, through the, you know, just the, the wonderful ways of living. It was just truly extraordinary. It really opened me up in so many ways. And I think that's probably one of North America's big problems or anywhere else where people don't travel. They're living in a very small parameter of their world and it becomes very infested. And I think, you know, whether you are traveling through Zoom, if you can't do it physically, be inquisitive of what's going on in another part of the world. Uh, even the people of different culture in your neighborhood, you know, start speaking to them about the culture of the what they've left behind or their traditions or this and that, because it broadens your mind, broadens your senses, broadens your appreciation and gratitude for one another. And uh, please, that we take the blinkers off. Just be willing to explore. We are exploratory creatures. Be willing to explore because that is really where the joy of life comes from. Absolutely. Travel just broadens you in so many ways. Yes. Yeah. Whether it's traveling around the people in your neighborhood or whether it's actually going somewhere when COVID is over, um, is just getting out there and exploring. And, you know, don't do the touristic things. Go in there and really see the neighborhoods, the people. And along the way, just drop a few seeds of opportunities for people along the way, right? Because you never know how it's going to grow. You may never see it, but it will have an impact. Be the ripple and be the stone. Yeah. Yeah, we're all capable of doing it. Thank you so much for sharing here. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. So, folks, it's Rob Dublin, Dubin. I'm going to get that L out of there. Dubin, D U B I N dot com. And we all could touch it with a touch of happiness. I know this last couple of years, a lot of people have had to pivot. Um, careers have changed, perspectives have changed, everything has changed. And you just might say, well, where can I find my happiness to know which direction I'm going in? tap into the experience of a lifetime uh, of all that he's gone through because he's got it there for you and he can help you find your inner happiness that then you will bring to every other thing that you do in your life. So until next time, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. Please tune in to our selfdiscoverymedia.com slash shows and you will see all the other genres that we have from you. Every week on Tuesday, we bring you new shows from illuminating people. If you know someone that should be interviewed, please contact us at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com. Now stay tuned for your next show.